but we just want to take some time and and uh, as you've had time to process through the four different sessions that John has graciously uh, led us in, uh, we just want to say thank you for being here, taking the time to do this. Yep. So you're, you're a busy guy. You have a church at home that you're going to be going home to uh, later today, a family that you're going to, but you've taken the time to spend uh, this weekend with us, and we're very thankful for that, John. Um, but a couple of questions uh, that people have asked. Uh, we had a couple of repeat ones, and so uh, if I don't get your phrasing exactly right, uh, it's going to be because somebody asked a similar question. Um, but one of the questions, uh, John, this one might be a good one to start with. It said, you've mentioned antinomianism a couple of times, and some, and some here may not be familiar with that term. Could you unpack the term and apply it to your session on assurance? Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, namas means law. And then we know what the word anti means, against, right? So against the law, and uh, it's, it's a movement. There was definitely an issue with it in the New Testament, and then throughout church history it's been an uh, issue. And what it means by that is that uh, in application that there is no necessity to look to the law for obedience at all. So once you live in grace, that the law has no place in the Christian's life, so technically they can live however they think is deemed best. Uh, so antinomianism is not great. It's not good. It's bad. Uh, it's unbiblical. And so, but when you appropriately preach the gospel, it can sound, and it's true, as it relates to the gospel, I, I am a hard, full antinomian. There is no obedience in the gospel, right? That would be due. So what, what's, what the confusion is, is what they're, what, and this is where Roman Catholicism, um, they also kick back against this. This is why they say, you're kicked out of the church in anathema if you believe that grace alone is sufficient to save you without the evidences of works. And so um, they felt that, and so they added law back into it. Uh, so they would be pro-law. Um, but when it comes to our right standing before God, or the, you know, the theological term, our justification, being made right before God, the law does not play a part in that. But once we are saved, right, what are we called to uh, look to? The law of Christ, right? So the law does have a role in it. It can't condemn us. The law cannot produce in us righteousness. The law is dead. It's, there's just a set of, set of rules and regulations. But what the law can do is govern and guide us, right? And we allow the law to guide us. For instance, um, you know, how does Jesus summarize the entire law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. First uh, John says it this way, so if you refuse to love your neighbor, you refuse to love your brother, then you don't understand the gospel, right? The love of your brother does not save you, but it is the reflection or the, the outpouring of that. Uh, so antinomianism would basically say there is, no, there is no call to obedience or obligation upon the Christian, which seems foreign because Paul also would, went to the church of Corinth and says, okay, these people are sleeping together, boot them out of the church. If they weren't, if he wasn't using the law, which is, you know, uh, relationships before marriage, trying to use careful here, um, then then that wouldn't apply. So Paul's definitely not an antinomian. Yeah, but it's so I'll just say that like traditionally speaking, historically speaking, there's been what's called the three full use of the law, and if you walk through scripture, you can see this, right? Paul says that the law is a schoolmaster to to show us how we have failed. Do this and live. Well, I didn't do it. 
Well, now you're, you got an F, right? So the first use of the law is a mirror. You are a failure. That's what they call the first use of the law. And use meaning that the Bible uses that on us. Second use of the law is what's called civil. It's, uh, we can see this like in Israel where God had laws to govern their flesh because you know, they were biting and killing each other. That's the second use of the law. Uh, Paul says it this way in modern times that God has given the sword to the state to govern our flesh, right? So that's a civil use of the law. And then the, what's called the last is what's called a guide, right? The law no longer condemns us, so it's not a mirror for us to condemn us. But the law is not bad. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it, right? So the law becomes the moral guide for us. So we, we realize that we should not lust after other people's things or, or covet them. We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't steal uh, not to earn God's favor and righteousness, but that's not a reflection of the nature of who God is. That's what we call the third use of the law. And antinomians would say, no, there is no third use of the law. I hope that was more than you wanted. Nope. Uh, that was great. That was great. So this is, this is a question we received that uh, could come off of that, I yeah. guess. But uh, is there a time when you obey just because you know it's the right thing to do, even though... The, the heart isn't necessarily behind it. The desire for to live in the way that God has called us to live is not there. Yeah, I'll quote Jesus. I mean, I'll quote God on this one. He says that your, your actions, right, your lips praise me, but your heart is far from me. And he was like, that's okay. That's not what he said. He didn't say it was okay. He actually condemned them from that. Uh, so no, um, acts of obedience apart from faith and trust cannot please him. It's impossible to please me without faith, is what Jesus says, right? So, no, I, I, I think that if you are doing obedience, you have to ask yourself, why are you doing that obedience? You know, for, um, do you guys know why you, you don't drive 100 miles an hour? Because it doesn't, in the end, it doesn't benefit you. You end up in jail, right? It's, it's a felony, right? You don't want to do that. So you're not, you're not doing it because technically it's the right route. You're doing it because it's, it's not beneficial. So most of the time, whether we do or don't do something, if it's apart from God, it's purely pragmatic and selfish. Right? It's purely pragmatic and selfish. And God says we don't live that way. We live trusting in, in God and his promises. And so our actions come from our faith. Could you tease that out a little bit in a situation like... Um, you know, many of us in here are fathers or even grandfathers and have children that don't always necessarily enjoy going to church. And so how does something like that of uh, doing something just as an act of obedience without the heart, how do we encourage our kids maybe to still come with us to church when their heart isn't there in that? Yeah. Yeah, I would encourage the youth pastor to get an Xbox or something. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, the, the heart of a child is just like any heart of the child, right? It's sinful and it takes time to govern the, the heart. Of the, you know, this is why Paul says that we are to, uh, teach our children, uh, to raise them, to understand, he says that the fear and admonition of the Lord or the fear and love and respect of the Lord. Uh, if you, if that was natural, he wouldn't have had to tell you, you have to teach them, right? So it is, I have four children. Um, they're all perfect. They've always loved church. And, um, yeah, but I've, uh, they range from 18 to seven, you know, and to this day, you know, I'm still shepherding 
my children's heart and, and helping them understand that. And the thing is, when, when so uh, it's, it really does, it, it's two things. It's how you view the Bible and it's how you view church. So we believe that the word of God is very clear that the way that God comforts us and cares for us and protects us is within the local body when it's centered on God's word. So it's not just a group of people who say they love Jesus, but it's a group of people who have committed themselves to actually obeying God's word, right? P applying it, putting their faith and trust in the gospel. Um, and so I help my children understand that is that uh, the world is constantly attacking us with their ideologies and with their way of life. And then I say, let's think about how happy they are. Like Hollywood, right? We get to see their lives up in front. And they're, they're just, look at their families. They're so wonderful. And they have long-lasting marriages. And they last up into their 90s. It's like, no, right? The people who influence us the most are like sleeping around and dying of drugs, right? It's like, that's who, so I help my children see that. Like, do you want to be influenced by people who are pretending to be happy but yet are not? Or do you want to receive something and so I help them understand, like, this is, this is really valuable. So we go to bed early on, right? And we don't allow things like sports and other things to get in our way because God's influencing our heart and our mind. So, and that's not one-time conversation. It's over and over and over again, right? Uh, and we've always tried to help people understand that, you know, we're not afraid of God. We're, we're going to receive from the Lord. Um, and it's consistency over and over and over again. And I know this church. I know there are other pastors, but I met the other pastor as well here. I know these churches preach the gospel. I'm not seeing the books that are on that table. So when you, you can encourage your child that you, they may not fully understand now, but they'll reflect often your heart. I mean, listen, right? You get in the car, that ride from the car to the church is probably more influential than anything else, right? And that ride home of you're criticizing the church and the pastor you, you, you're influencing your children. They're watching you. They're like, well, you don't like church. Why should I like church? So um, you could go find a church you like, but most likely it's not the church. I've met people like that. You know, it's like they go from one church to the next. It's not the, it's, you know, it's not the church. It's, it's the individual. So, yeah, my encouragement with that is that um, church, church, the way I describe to my kids, I'm like, um, how about we go the whole week and we won't eat? And they were like, Dad, we have to eat. It's necessary. It's like, I know. That's exactly what Jesus says. Church becomes necessary for our hope and our health and our strength. And it's good. It tastes good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's kind of, I help give them illustrations like that. Staying on the topic of children, another question that pertained to us as fathers, as grandfathers even, uh, was how can fathers ensure that their discipline of their children is still grounded in God's grace and we don't unintentionally drive them toward a pietistic or legalistic understanding of God? Such a great question. Uh, how many of you guys have read parenting books and you're just like, that seems off, <laughs> right? Um, you know, my dad had two different styles of parenting when I was younger, and then I think he started to discover what he was doing was not creating within me a tenderness, but a bitterness towards him and what he was doing. And so I, in many ways, I got to see my dad kind of change over time. Uh, and that helped me in my parenting. But I, I early on, and I reflected some of the, the ways in which my dad disciplined me when I was early, I did that. And a lot of that is uh, uh, anger, right? Um, do you guys know most of the time we discipline our children not because we love them and want to guide them, but because they annoy us, 
they irritate us, right? Or, more importantly, they embarrass us. We're embarrassed by them. And um, I, I don't know, this is what other dads tell me, so. <laughs> so, uh, you know, going back to the fruit of the Spirit, your child, you know when it says, um, let the world see your good deeds and they will glorify the Father? That includes your wife and children. Let your children see that you are patient with them when they are not impatient. That you are kind and gentle with them, firm, but you're kind and gentle with them when they are not deserving of it, right? Uh, I tell a lot of young parents that when your child is little, um, and you're not gonna be able to teach them gospel grace because they can't even compute those things. Uh, you demonstrate it by, you don't ever discipline out of anger. You are long-suffering and patient with them. And the, the, uh, is God consistent with us? The, the hardest thing that we fail as parents is we're inconsistent, right? And, and consistency, I think, is important. So when you're dealing with a child, when you tell a child, hey, don't stick your finger in the socket, right? You don't then say, well, you know, and then you go on this diatribe about the fall and the, they, they don't even, no, you're teaching them that uh, they are to, to love and respect you and that they are, that, that you are the one that guides and directs them. You're, you're, you're giving them God's structure of how the world works. Parents determine what children do. You can either do that out of anger or you can do that out of love and kindness. So um, there are many, many times, many, many times, including recently, as of like a few weeks ago, I have to go to my children and apologize to them. I spoke to you in anger. I was impatient with you. I should not have raised my voice um, because our children need to know that we as sinners also, we need their forgiveness as well. So um, I would really caution against the concept of using God. You disappointed God. God is so disappointed in you. <laughs> God's disappointing you as a parent too, you idiot. So <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, no, I did. <clears throat> I was reading this book. I forget who it was. When, he, when we say, sorry, I didn't mean to say that, that's not what we really mean. What we're saying is, I, <laughs> I didn't like the sound of what I said in my own ears. <laughs> that's what we're really saying. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I hope that is... Look, parenting is really hard, and I think this is why the church becomes so valuable, is that my children are around other godly men and women, and then they're like, oh, so like other, this isn't just dad, mom, or crazy. Like Other people believe this as well. I, um, when it says consider how to build one another up, I, am, I tell the church, it's like, I need you to love my kids. I need you to encourage them and, and strengthen them and, and speak into their life as well. So, all right. So this question was asked a couple different times, but in a different way. The most succinct way we received it was by asking, how should we use warning passages in the Bible in light of the doctrine of assurance? And so a couple of the passages that were referenced on a different card were Second Corinthians 5.8, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. John 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Romans 6, 1 and 15, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Uh, may it never be. First Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and make, it, uh, and make it my slave so that I myself will not be disqualified. So in light of your you know, your encouragement towards us and your talk on assurance. How, how are we supposed to go to those passages as believers? 
Yeah, so every single one of those is like, um, you're asking me the ingredients of how to cook a meal, but you described pizza, Mexican food, Italian, and sushi. I'm like, well, there isn't one recipe for all of those, right? They all consist of food. So every single one of those has a context. Like for instance, the Second Corinthians 5, examine yourself. Man, it's so important to understand why Paul says that. They're denying his apostleship. They don't believe that he's an apostle. He's like, I'm the one that gave you the gospel. And so if, if you're saying that my gospel is wrong, then you better examine yourself because you probably aren't in the faith either. This is a battle of authority and where the gospel comes. Because he goes, if I or anyone else come and preach to you another gospel, anathemize them, kick them out, curse them, right? So in that context, he's not saying examine yourself to see if your good works are the reflection of it. He's saying you better examine the gospel that you are claiming to hold to because if it's another gospel than the one that I gave you, you're not a believer. That was one. Um, I buff up my body daily. I mean, that's Paul. He's saying, uh, uh, I don't know if that's a warning passage as much as Paul's saying, like, he, he, he wants to be so effective in loving the brothers and, and talking about the purpose of our life. He's like, I discipline myself so I don't disqualify myself. I don't go sleep with a woman or become a gluttonous or I'll become a drunkard or whatever. He's like, yeah, I, I look at who I am in Christ and the significance of what I have to do. And I, I'm going to, so his discipline isn't related to the more disciplined I am, the more spiritual I am. He's like, no, I, listen, I, I, t- I take care that I don't allow myself to disqualify myself from this role that I've been given. So I, I don't know if that's a warning passage as much as kind of like a sober reality of what he says, uh, make no provisions for the flesh. It's like, you guys, we have weak flesh, right? Uh, there are times, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with something, it's like, it's try and oh, stay away from it. It's kind of just common sense. Um, there was another one you had in there. Uh, like Romans 6, 1 and 15, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase, may never be? Right, and, and he goes on to explain what that is. And the motivation is that um, the love of Christ and the glory of Christ becomes the motivation for us to fight against sin. Like, for instance, um, no one, you, don't, you don't love your wife this way. I know my wife loves me a lot, but I don't presume that I can just get away with whatever I want. Because she loves me, I respect her for that. And I want to love her. And so in res- response to that, I'm like, what, what is it that pleases you, sweetheart? Because then that's the thing I want to do. Or I could say, well, you say you made a commitment to me. You put a ring on that thing. You better keep up to the end of the deal. I'm going to go do whatever I want. That's not how we do that, right? And that's Paul's point. It's like, hey, don't misunderstand God's grace. So I don't, I don't think he's using that as a checkmate going, okay, but if you don't do enough, then God didn't save you. That's not what he's saying. And there was one other one that I think was pretty good. Uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So again, not a warning passage. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but think about that for a moment. This is so good. If you're afraid of me, you'll keep my commandments. He's like, no, let my love for you, right, be the reason why that you want to... Because if you look at the whole section, he's talking about uh, John 14, right? Yeah, he goes into John 15 and this intertwining of like, my love is in you and my love in you causes love for me. And so when you hear my commandments, you're going to be like, yeah, I love you. I love Jesus. Why wouldn't I want to obey him? I mean, it's like, for sure, whatever you have to say, I'm in. It's not painful. I love how Jesus describes it this way. He's like, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's like, this obedience I've called you to, because what drives that is your love for me. So I don't see that as a, as a warning pack. Now, I have heard pastors do that. And I'm like, you just took Jesus' comforting words and you turned it to beat people. I'm like, how dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself. So it's my opinion. 
I will say this in general, uh, warning passages. That's a question I get a lot of. Um, always look at the context of why, of why it was given. And I think you might be able to come to the answer. Like back out. Who's he talking to? Why did he say that? Because what we love to do is isolate a passage and then apply it. You just can't do that. So in your talk on pietism, where you were sharing a lot of that, one of the things that you said was that pietism is piety for the wrong reasons and with the wrong expectations. Yeah. And uh, we had, we've had a chance to talk a little bit more uh, with you being here. And for those men here who maybe come out of a, a more legalistic background where pietism was really pushed onto them, but now they find themselves in a place where they're almost afraid to do godly practices such as prayer or Bible reading or family devotions because they're afraid that that will turn into pietism in their life. Mm -hmm. How would you encourage them? Yeah. Um, what liberated me from this a long time ago, because I grew up, uh, I was the kind of pietist you didn't want to be around because I made you feel guilty for not being as pious as I was. <laughs> I would judge you. Uh, and I was really good at it. And as I said, pietism either robs you of assurance or it creates self-righteousness in you. So um, the person that's afraid of, of, the, of walking back into pietism, um, my answer to that is once, once, you, once you are assured... Um, all right, here's an illustration I like to use. Um, Scott, I, I come to you and I'm like, all right, I have this bank account, right? And it's good news. That's right. And it will be funded with as much money you ever need for the rest of your life. And I want you to be free to give away whatever you want to give away, as much as you want for the rest of your life. It will never run out. So for your needs and then for anybody else that you want to help. And you're going to be like, and I don't have to do anything. Nope. You don't have to do anything. But I want you to be wise with that money. And I want you to use it. In, in a way that reflects the gift that I gave to you. You received it without having to earn it, and I want you to treat that in the same way. Okay. So in your mind, you're going to go, there's nothing I need to do to keep the bank account full, but I definitely want to use this money that would reflect the guy who gave it to me. Okay, so I think I'm going to be wise in how I handle this. I'm not going to just give it away frivolously to things that are, that would be contrary to his nature and, and his request. That's exactly how we live. You guys, you cannot get more from God. You cannot get more of his attention, his love, his forgiveness. And he goes, because of that, how many times in scripture does he say, add to your faith, walk in a manner worthy of the reflection of what this is? Because, uh, someone brought this up to me, uh, Second or uh, Titus 3 eight and nine he says all of this has been given to you not because of works he goes now diligently pursue godliness right he didn't say diligently pursue godliness because of the value of what it will create between the relationship of god he goes because you have been set free from the obligations of the law and righteousness now go be holy now go be, be righteous so righteousness is not holiness and obedience it's not a trip to the tenant to the dentist which i just had and it's a great illustration because Oh, that was painful. You know, does it, some of you are weird, but most of us don't like going to the dentist, right? The way, that, the way that righteousness is described is like a trip to the, it's sweet, right? Have you ever been around someone who's patient and kind and loving and forgiving? 
like I like being around that person. It's like you're you're a, you're a joy to be around. Dude, holiness is amazing. It's so good. I guarantee you, your wife wants you to be more patient and sacrificial and kind. Like we're not afraid of. And where do we learn those things? We learn them from God's word, right? And when we struggle with them, we need brothers to confront us. What has happened is holiness has turned into this dirge, this dark dungeon of the soul where we're constantly wondering, am I doing enough? So here's my last illustration for you. I've grown up and all my kids are artists. They all love to draw and they're really good at it. But when they first got started, like my seven-year-old right now, I have an 18-year-old that is, she's amazing. She actually sells her artwork. But my seven-year-old, I don't use that a word with your ears, but in his ears I do. Daya Knox, that's amazing, son. I'm so proud of you. That looks great. Is that is that actually true for you? You're like, I'm not giving you money for that. That thing's a piece of junk. But in the eyes, what what there's grace that covers it. He's my son. I love him. Right? I want to encourage him to do better and try. And that's exactly what the gospel does for us, right? We walk by faith and we fail and we ask for forgiveness and we keep doing it, knowing our Father does not accept our good works because they're perfect. He accepts our good works because they're covered by his blood. So my encouragement to you is yes, pursue obedience because it's joyful and it's it's good and it's wonderful. And don't be a word of if you're trying to do it because you're earning God's favor or you're afraid if you don't do it, now you're walking into pietism for sure. It's a heart position and it's you have to reshape how you think of your God. He's not out to thump you on the head. He's not waiting for you to mess up. You are a mess up. <laughs> okay? You are a mess up and he guides in direction. He knows you're a mess up. He puts you in a church. He says, hey, let the elders guide you. Let them teach you. You care for one another. You, you, you confess your sins. You confess your sin. Hey, uh, with boldness, run into my presence anytime you need, and I will give you mercy and grace. That's, that's his tender. Uh, the most offensive illustration Jesus ever gave was the prodigal son. Why? Because the father looked like an, a shameful man. Right? That son did not do anything of value whatsoever other than cause shame on us. And what Jesus says... What did he do to him, right? And that's, that's the way that we're supposed to understand the Father's love for us. So that means, well, okay, I, I'm going to mess up like a, like a maniac, but I'm going to keep trying because I love my king. Never justifying your sin, right? All right. Uh, these next two questions we have are just a little more general, not necessarily related to you. Yeah. Your talks, but uh, this well, then one you can answer them. Oh, great! Uh, <laughs> this says working forty to fifty hours a week, having a wife and children, having children involved with school and sports, wife also working, and then being members at a church. How does one balance all of this well? It often feels as if it's impossible to do all I should do. On top of this, I hear about pietism. How can a man balance the roles of husband, dad, church member, Christian? and all the other responsibilities that arise without burnout. So I, I changed one of my sessions because I, I realized it was going to be too long. Um, this is total self-promotion, I apologize. But there's an episode coming out on Monday that answers this, and I'll give a short answer now. The, the problem is, men, we, we live in a world where we think that the playing field is, e is equal, it's even. Americans are, they do this, you know, we, we promote America as the land of opportunity, right? You put in the hard work and you can, 
you can be whatever it is that you want to be. That's just not true. We do not live on an equal playing field. It's not a clean slate for everyone. Um, and the longer that, because what happens is, is that, you know, we all walk around and it's, oh, hum me. And, I, you know, I, it, I, uh, no one understands the situation that I'm in. It's so hard for me. And it, all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're realizing that we're the one unique special case. Everyone else has got it great. And we're the one unique special trait. That I mean, you just kind of described my week. I'm like, I work 40 hours a week, too. And I got four kids. <laughs> um, no. The, 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 the greatest uh, description of Paul of himself, he's like, the more weak I embrace, the more I understand I embrace my weakness, the stronger I become. Uh, Americans, it's breed, the self-made man, right? I, if I try hard enough and I put enough time in, enough effort in, I will figure this out. And all you do is you dig yourself in a deeper and deeper hole. Uh, self-dependence is dangerous, Point to me in scripture where you are called to be self-dependent on anything in the Christian life at all. Can you name one thing? You didn't even save yourself. Let's start there. He (laughs) pulled you out of death and put you into life. And then he adopted you, gave you your inheritance, gave you your righteousness because he knew you couldn't gain your own righteousness. And to help you remember that and survive, he goes, I'm going to put you in a family. And you're all going to function as a body. And he says, don't forsake that body. And consider daily how to build one another up that you aren't hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What you're describing is a confliction of priority. Uh, we allow ourselves and we prioritize ourselves around what we value, right? <laughs> if I understand my, I am a weak, weak man and that I am frail and I will make wrong decisions and my flesh will lead me astray, I'm going to go to that which gives me strength. And according to... Uh, the Bible, it's the word of God in God's people that gives me strength. And so those things in my life that might distract, I've got to work, right? A man that doesn't work is worse than an unbeliever. That's what Paul says. I've got to have a job. But then I have to step back and say, what, what, all these things that my life is involved in, is it allowing me to be strengthened in Christ in my weakness or is it pulling me away? And I, you know, listen, um, I love guys in my church, but I bust them in the chops all the time. You know, they come to me and their marriage is falling apart. And I said, hey, let's think about this for a minute. You haven't been at church in how long? Well, you tell me I can't have a good marriage unless I go to church. I'm like, well, have you been patient with your wife? Where do you think you gained and learned that patience? Have you been loving and kind? Have you been loving Christ as loving your wife as Christ? I mean, uh, come on, man. You, you put your job, your career, your fitness, and your entertainment as the priority of your life. And then you're wondering why you're having a hard time being patient with your wife who's also a sinner. So my, my answer to that is, I think as men, we need to always be evaluating what is the purpose of my life and what am I allowing in? Uh, how does Hebrews say it? It's not wrong. Are sports wrong? No. Is fitness wrong? No. All these things are wrong. But if it's keeping you from Christ, laying aside the weight and the sin that easily besets us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So I think it's nothing wrong with sitting down with another godly man and say, hey, why don't you evaluate my life? Do you think that I've got stuff in my life that doesn't belong here? Like, what do you think I should get rid of? Uh, That's hard. But guys, in our culture, successful families, it's like your kids are in this sport and you're in this, and you're all over the place. You're never home. You're never together. 
When it comes to the weekend, you're so exhausted, not by your job, you're so exhausted by extracurricular opportunities. Oh, man, you got me preaching now. Extracurricular opportunities that when it comes to the very thing that we need, it becomes the least thing on our priority. It's like, well, you know, we've had a long weekend. We're just going to stay home as a family. I'm like, you're not going to go eat with your king and his people and be encouraged? I think your priorities might be off. So it's not a very popular answer. I know that. I even tell guys, if you can't find a gospel-preaching church that's going to feed you and care for you, you wouldn't just stay in a city and not have a job. You would move. And the same is true. Like, I would move to a city where I know my family is going to be cared for. Praise God, you've got an option right here. Make it the priority of your life. Not legalistically. Not because you can earn favor. It's like, I am a weak man, and I am frail. And if I am not cared for and loved for and fed, I know I am not going to be an effective husband. I'm not going to be an effective father. And I'm not going to be, and I mean effective, in displaying love and kindness, not because it earns me, but because that's the purpose of my life, is to be effectively shining the light of Christ at home and abroad. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove any hindrances that keeps me from being effective. That would be... We are way, um, hey, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm so busy. Everybody says it. Anybody in here not busy? Raise your hand. Wait, you're, uh, you're not charismatic. Nod your head. Everybody's busy all the time. Why are we busy? Do you work 90 hours? Maybe you should get a different job, you know? Why are we, it's, a, it's, like, it's, it's like a badge of honor to say you're busy. You've ever met somebody who's like, yeah, life's been great, man. I've had a lot of time to relax and drink some tea on my back porch. and like, lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the last question we have written down. We might have time for one or two if you guys still have one. But uh, I think this question is related to uh, the last talk that you gave related to us living in the kingdom and loving those around us. It says, how do we show love to those outside the church without condoning their sins? I don't know what you think. <laughs> uh, Jesus somehow figured out how to do it, right? Uh, you guys finished the title, Jesus, friend of... Um... He also said it this way, which we're not good at. He says, speak the truth with clarity, with vigor, with boisterousness. What does he say? <coughs> Love, right? I think that is uh, reminding yourself, this person is uh, enslaved. Um, if you've ever, uh, I've, I've worked with um, trafficking, human trafficking, like, um, I'm just trying to be careful with my words here, but let's go with human trafficking in Nashville. And um, they they can get so warped in their thinking that they they when you try to pull them out they don't want to come out because they feel like they'll be unsafe and they don't they don't know a life outside of that life and you're thinking to yourself so vile what they're involved in super vile it's disgusting right and you can get angry like well then you deserve it's like whoa, 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 what you de- they what no I deserve. I deserve, right? Such, what does Paul say? Such were some of us. Such were, such were you, right? So when you're talking, this is why 
uh, we were talking at dinner last night. I, listen, there are men and women doing really gross things, like the way they dress and acting. It's. Do you guys realize that they're they're trying to find significance, and they're a slave of Satan. And you're gonna cross your arms and be like, like so, so we're gonna take out. But by the grace of God, there go I. Go ahead and just take that out of the Bible. Is that what we're gonna do? Right. So we're so worried about condoning it that we forget what we're doing, That's, right? Because what you're afraid of is what other people are going to think of you. That's all you're cared about. Oh, they might think that I'm condoning the sin. Stop thinking. Who stop caring about what other people are thinking and just do the right thing? Be compassionate and kind. There's a difference between enabling and condoning, right? It's like you're not enabling the sin. But there's a whole other thing where to go sit with a sinner and publicly be in their presence and say, I'm going to love you even though you and I are not on the same page. And I'm not going to endorse what you're doing, but I'm going to love you the same way God loved me, unconditional and undeservable, right? And that's hard. This is why Jesus got to, he was, they called him a drunkard. I'm just kind of like, I don't know if anybody's ever accused me of that. I guess I would have to go hang out with people who are drunks in order for me to get accused of that, I guess. <laughs> He's laughing over here. He gets it. Because <laughs> uh, he and I had a conversation about this, right? That's who you hang out with. Prisoners, right? You hang out with these guys. Maybe we should have him come up here and answer a question. You know what? That sounds awesome. <laughs> Let him tell us about what does it look like. Um, yeah, guys, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna rebuke all of us right now. First of all, you should, when you see these things on TV and you shake your head, like I was laughing with this guy next to me. Uh, there was these bozos over in Alaska who shot two bald eagles because they wanted to eat them. And I, I did the same thing. I was like, idiots. And I was like, I don't know, man. That's dumb things I've done too. <laughs> but we, it's part of our human nature. Like that's not the thing I struggle with, right? And so... Uh, this is in our culture we do this and we we find self-righteousness and significance in the things that we don't do that's why i always use the illustration like you know i've made it 41 years without murdering anybody but jesus says no you haven't you ever hated anybody oh, i've never slept with another woman oh yeah you were lusted you're guilty son you're guilty do not cast judgment so i would say that we have lost sight when jesus says uh let the world see your good deeds it's a good thing to be loving and patient and kind. Let those who are trapped in sin and doing things that are vile see how you treat them and glorify your Father. Why are you being kind to me? You know, all the rest of the Christian world, they're, they're me. Why are you kind to me? You clearly don't agree with what I do. Well, let me tell you why I'm being kind to you. Because my Savior was kind to me. Right? So, stop caring what people think. Any pressing questions? Okay. Well, John, thank you very much for your time uh, this weekend. We really appreciate you coming uh, again here with us, spend this weekend with us, and uh, share with us from God's Word and encourage us in the gospel. Uh, we need it. Yeah. Right? And, well, as uh, I told you guys, you guys were my guinea pigs, so now i got to go test this out in my own church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you, John, for being here.